You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. It is Friday the 10th of September and I join you once again from Yorton Farm in Welshpool in Powys after a very successful sale here yesterday, which I was very lucky to be able to help out with. And there is something of a bloodstock theme to today's show because in the second episode of our behind-the-scenes look at what's going on at Watership Down Stud in the run-up to the Tattersall sale, I'll be talking to leading agent Charlie Gordon-Watson, who's been to inspect the draft of yearlings, and he picks out two that he particularly likes and that he'll probably be having a good go at when it comes round. And I'll also be talking to Will Kinsey, who, with his business partner, has set up Thoroughbid, the new online auction house but as you will know there is so much good racing this weekend and in a few moments time we'll be looking ahead to the Irish champion stakes and the Kazoo St Ledger but lots of important news yesterday as well and we'll start with the news that two prominent jumps trainers in the UK are joining forces under one license. Graham McPherson who also practices as a barrister has subsumed his team into that of the very powerful Fergal O'Brien who's already trained 50 winners so far this season. In a minute we'll be hearing from Fergal, but I wondered whether to start this show by examining whether there are wider implications of such a move for the sport. I'm joined by David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. Dave, your reaction to this? I think it's a, a sign of the times, Nick. I think that this is something that we're going to see more and more often. I know that the strictly that there is one name on the license in future, and that is that of Fergal O'Brien. But I think that economic reality in the future will mean that more and more trainers are inclined to join forces. Whether that's a good thing for the sports in terms of the the landscape and how the, the, the fabric of British racing and how interesting it is, I'd rather have my doubts. So here is Fergal explaining to me exactly the rationale behind the move. Uh, we've got 86 boxes at Ravenswell, which is, is, is plenty. And uh, Graham's Graham's place gives us another sort of access to another 80 boxes if we want to. And um, it, it just, you know, saves us having to build uh, at Ravenswell and, and pay rent over the next sort of 20 years. Uh, and it's, we, we just think it's a good fit. Um, we already, we've been at Graham's, I've rented a barn at Graham's since last December. Um, so we've already got people in place over there. So we know the facilities and, and the gals and stuff. And uh, it's just a case of, of, of putting them all under one, under one, under one name now. And will it be one name on the license or two? No, there's only going to be one name on the license. Um, uh, it's just it's just me on the license. Um, Graham, uh, you know, is still a barrister. Uh, he's still quite busy on that side of it. Um, you know, we'll be, you know, we're 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 day to day running at the yard, and, and Graham's there to help. You know, he's he's obviously a, a very bright man and very intelligent and a lot more intelligent than me so he'll be a great man to have in our corner to, to, to help run the business and uh, you know get get that more efficient as well I'm sure. Do you think from a business perspective it's going to make sense to more trainers to do this to join forces? Um, I, I, look I can only really speak about myself I, we, I don't we don't I, I certainly don't see myself as a pioneer that's for sure but when Graham when, when we spoke about this it just it, it always felt like a good idea 
from day one, you know, like we spoke about this a while back and it wasn't the right time for us because we'd only just moved to Ravenswell, although we'd had a good start, you know, I wanted to get a proper feel for Ravenswell and, and, and you know, that, that's been the key to that Ravenswell has been such a great place for us to train and we've got such a good system in there. And I think we can, and then we, we implemented that system as well at Graham's in the barn that we rented from him separately to him and I, and I think we can implement that to, to Graham's as well and, and, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, we can go forward like that. So how do the logistics work? How Who supervises what and when? So um, Dave Killahela, who has been with me for two years, he's been at Martins Hill uh, in Stowe for the last sort of six or seven months um, with Shannon Parker. And they've been running that barn over there. We've, we've got a, a barn authority. And they've, you know, most of our summer horses are there and all the flat horses are there. And Dave, Dave will oversee that. Uh, and now he'll just join up with, with Mick Finn and Jody Mogford, um, who, who are with Graham. So it'll be Dave and Shannon over there. And then Sally and I will be there two to three days a week. We'll split our time sort of being here in Ravensville, you know, being there in Ravensville. And obviously the facilities are going to be slightly different. To what extent do you try and exactly replicate what you've got at your existing base with what you're going to have at your new one? We don't really want to replicate what, what we have is, is great here and what we have over there is very good as well because it's 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 definitely a different gallop and it suits different horses. It really rejuvenated the likes of Jarvis played over there last year. Um, it's definitely helped the flat horses. Um, it's just a different gallop. It's a different facility. We, we, we don't want to replicate what's here to over there because we want to have that change. You know, most yards, you know, we're still not going to be a, we're still not going to be the biggest yard in the country. The likes of, you know, Paul and, and Dan and, and Nicky and, and Ollie Murphy, you know, they, they've got, they'll have the same amount of horses but in one yard. So they haven't got the choice that we've got. You know, if we feel like we've got something that wants a, a, an easier gallop, I think Graham's is slightly easier than ours. So then we, we'll, we can go to Martin's Hill. If we feel like there's some of Graham's that need more work, you know, maybe a stiffer gallop or they're a little bit slower so the, the steeper hill will, 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 will benefit them, then they can come to Martin, they can come to Ravensworth. So, I think we're not. We won't. We, you know, we're not going to try and replicate Ravenswell over there. We're going to try and sort of fit the horses in around where where we think they'll, they'll, they'll be best suited by being trained. But do you feel that in order to compete with the Paul Nichols, the Dan Skeltons, the Ollie Murphys, the people you've mentioned, Nicky Henderson, do you you need that volume of horses? You need to have that many on your books. Yeah, it's definitely a volume. Yeah, it's, it, you know, and will we ever compete? You know, I, I, the people you know say about you know, trying to compete with, with, with Paul and 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 uh, Nikki is 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 nigh on impossible because um, you know Dan Dan had two hundred some winners one year and still finished third in the trainers championship. You know, it's 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 just getting the right horses and hopefully they'll come along. And all we want to do is is have the volume of horses to give us the best chance that those those uh, those those very good horses come along. You know, we got some good horses. Um, but whether we've got any festival winners at the minute, we'll have to wait and see. Fergal O'Brien there, joining forces with his near neighbour, Graham McPherson. Dave, I think the key point to note there was his his use of the, the word volume or, or his concession, that at least, that volume was the key to running the sort of business that he wants to run. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more of trainers joining forces, I think, in the coming years and at all levels of the racing pyramid. When I say joining forces, I mean, as in this case, where two trainers are effectively amalgamating with one name on the licence. And also, of course, what we've seen over the last, what, 18 months since May 2020 of a joint licence. The joint licence came in last year. We'd seen it for a number of years in Australia. Um, I think initially it was seen as a convenient way from father to pass the reins to son obviously Paul and Ollie Cole and Simon and Ed Crisford were among the first 
to do it. But I think there's a obviously there's a there's a financial reality quite apart from that. And I think what we will see here is trainers who are upwardly mobile. Let's we can easily group Graham McPherson and Fergal O'Brien into that group. They're, they're, they're trainers whose stock has risen year on year. And particularly in, in Fergal O'Brien's case over the last couple of years, that's been quite a steep upward curve. I think we will see it in the upper echelons as with as with this pair, but also we'll see it uh, towards the bottom as, as well, where in, in the case of the McPherson-O'Brien partnership, it, it's about flourishing, it's about growing their business. Towards the bottom of the uh, pyramid, it will be about trainers who are simply trying to survive and that they will pull their resources in order to do that. I did an interview with Jane Chappelheim a, a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was after Saffron Beach is second in the 1,000 guineas. And Jane, of course, who's a Melbourneian, said that what had happened in Australia was going to happen an awful lot more in Britain. And she said she reckoned that there would be many yards in, in Newmarket, many trainers who over the next couple of years would decide that uh, they would join forces. I, I don't blame them for doing that. Whether you want your business to flourish or whether you want it merely to carry on and survive, that's what businesses are about. So, I, as I say, I, I don't blame anybody for seeking to do that. Whether it um, makes British racing slightly less interesting, I think is also a point worth considering. We're going to see fewer names on the race cards. Um, punters will will have fewer names, fewer trainers that they look out for, that, that they uh, associate with. And I think that's a shame that the, the landscape of British racing will become slightly greyer as a result of this. I think there's going to be lots and lots uh, more of it on the way. As I say, I don't blame the individuals for doing it, but I do think it's a, a sad thing in a way for British racing in the same way that, say, 40 years ago, you would walk down your local high street. You would see loads of independents, uh, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, um, whereas now we just see a load of chains who are in the uh, the hands of a, of a small number of conglomerates. And in that sense, I, I think it's a, I, I, I slightly shed a tear for the future. Some interesting news from the British Horse Racing Authority yesterday. A couple of inquiries or appeals that were, were held. And the first of those concerns Sylvester D'Souza, the leading jockey, three times champion. He has received a 15-day suspension under the totting up process. So if you commit a number of whip offences, that triggers a, a totting up process, which means you get a longer ban. Uh, James O'Mahony, who chaired the panel, Dave, said, the eyes of the world are on our sport. This was a high-profile race on terrestrial television, and there is great concern about the use of the whip in our sport. So there is nothing trivial about this case. Having said that, we've been made aware of significant mitigation in the horse in the course of the hearing what do you make of of his terminology there well i've said for a long time that i my fear about the british horse racing authority is that they are obsessed with how things look and they care too little for how things actually are and regular listeners of the nld will know that i'm something of a pro-cush bore in that i'm unswerving in my support of the instrument and how it must be kept in 
British racing and obviously the the, uh, the deadline for the, the, the whip consultation has now gone. I hope everybody made a contribution to that. And, and I, I think that, that that quote is is my belief in a nutshell. Let, let's look at uh, let's look at the crime, not how it might appear. And, and I think that this is a dangerous road for British racing. I, I think it's prevalent in lots of areas of society where people don't give a tinker's cuss for how things actually are, but they are they have an obsession uh, with how they appear. And yes, he there was a transgression in the rules, and and after there are multiple transgressions, Sylvester D'Souza will will now face uh, a lengthy ban under the tossing up procedure. That procedure is nothing new. It, go, it goes back uh, decades. But my plea to the BHA is let's not make this a, a platform for uh, doing something that I think will uh, leave the sport damaged and damaged forever and irreparably damaged because we, we've talked about this before. And my view is that uh, if if there are uh, further restrictions on the whip. I, I think that it will hit British racing financially, and I think that the, uh, the 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 saddest irony of all is that the horse will suffer as a result of that. And the other news to come out of the British Horse Racing Authority yesterday was that the trainer Heather Main had won her appeal against a fine for Jason Watson, a jockey weighing in two pounds light after riding a horse called Tindrum into second place. Uh, Lingfield, because within the wording of the rules, main solicitor Rory McNeese found that there was no provision since 2019 for trainers to be charged under strict liability. So it's a it, it's quite embarrassing this for the regulator, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. It's a bit embarrassing uh, for the the person who worded that statute by taking the word trainer out of it. It seems, um, and this is a. A, a very clever piece of uh, a, of work on the on the part of Rory McNeese that you know that there was no mention of the trainer in the statute and therefore uh, the trainer was not uh, that they that they couldn't punish the trainer. I think that what will happen very swiftly now is that 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 uh, that law will be amended and the the word trainer will be reinserted but um if ever i find myself before the beak nick and i i hope that that doesn't happen at least for some time then my the first call uh, i will make from the nick will be to rory mcneese uh, we talked about this quite a bit this week but just a quick nod to the fact that gordon elliott has made his first entries now following the end of his six month suspension it looks like tuesday's flat meeting at punches down dave yeah, obviously, Gordon Elliott is a trainer who's made his name in the jump sphere. And it was apparent that with his uh, ability to make entries on Thursday, yesterday, that the first meeting where he would be eligible to have runners would be a flat card at Punchestown, um, a sphere in which he has a few runners. And it may well be that that's where he's going to make his return. He's, he made five entries yesterday at Punchtown on Tuesday. I think a few more. I think he made nine at Sligo uh, the following day. So yeah, we're we're edging towards that return. Um, my my thoughts on this are that whilst what Gordon Elliott did was obviously unacceptable, I feel that the the punishment that was meted out, whether people thought it was too lenient or they thought it was too stiff, I think everybody broadly 
felt that that punishment was not unreasonable uh, and therefore it, it's right that he should make his return to the training ranks. It's not just him. Obviously, he, he employs an awful lot of people at Kulentra House. And, you know, I think I think broadly the, the, the punishment fitted the crime. And obviously we uh, we move on next week when he has his first runners. It sounds and I haven't spoken to Gordon Elliott for publication, but it sounds as though uh, that there is genuine contrition uh, with uh, from him with regard to what happened. And so, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's time to, to move on next week. Okay, let's talk about the racing this weekend because there's so much to to enjoy. We previewed it extensively during the course of the week. There are just four in the Irish Champion Stakes. How do you see it playing out? Well, I think that at the prices, the horse I would probably like to be with is Poetic Flair here. And I say that with heavy heart because you couldn't fail but to be impressed by what St Mark's Basilica has done this season. Obviously, the, the victories in... France in the the Poulain and then the Prix de Jockey Club and then uh, the way that he surged clear uh, to beat a Dave in the Coral Eclipse. Obviously, he missed York uh, with that leg infection. I think he's probably the the worthy favourite and a, a, the, a right favourite for this race. Tanawa, I'm not sure whether um, 10 furlongs is her optimum trip. I think that she probably will be better at 12 and, and I think that's uh, a view that Dermot Weld, her trainer, holds. I think the poetic flair is really interesting going up to 10 furlongs. Obviously, he was behind St. Mark's Basilica at Longchamp in the Poulain back in uh, May. Jim Bolger was adamant that he didn't operate on the surface, and that view was borne out six days later when poetic flair was beaten a short head in the Irish 2000 Guineas. So he's a horse who's um, held his form extremely well. I think that he was slightly a victim of circumstance when he was narrowly beaten by Palace Pier in the Jacques Lemarois at Deauville last time. And I think he'll be a really interesting horse at 10 furlongs. Both his pedigree and his run style suggest that he can be, I think, at least as good over a mile and a quarter as at a mile. And do you have a strong view on the St. Ledger? Well, I think Hurricane Lane will probably win it, but we we have a, a bit of an un, unwritten rule in the Daily Mirror, and that is when there are Group 1 races, you acknowledge, if that's what you believe, that the favourite will be hard to beat, but you put in an alternative. And so I'm going to put in Ottoman Emperor. I th- you know, he's a horse who's made great strides this year from relatively humble beginnings. I think he'll be absolutely fine over the extended mile and six furlongs. Johnny Murta's training operations seems to go from strength to strength. So at the prices, I think it's about four to six and six to one. I'll put in Ottoman Emperor. And the Gosden wagon is seriously rolling now. Yesterday, brilliant performance in the Park Hill from Free Wind. Similarly impressive in Spiral in the May Hill, the two-year-old Phillies race. Tomorrow, he's got a, a glut of runners, including Her Majesty the Queen's Reach for the Moon. Today, he's got Stradivarius, who doesn't have to face Trushan because Trushan's been taken out because of the ground being too quick. It, it looks as though he is going to be the most meaningful pursuer of Andrew Balding in the Trainers' Championship, with with his son Thady, of course, going back to where we started this podcast and joint licences. Yes, indeed. I, well, I, I think that that was, that was going to be the case. I don't, I don't mean to, to after time, but we know what a... What a strong selection of of Group One or potentially Group One horses there are at Clarehaven, and 
as we go into the winter, I do think that that's when the, the Andrew Balding's lead will be eroded because whilst he's had a fantastic season and so many horses have put into the pot, he doesn't have the 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 strength at King's Clear that that um that the Gosdens have at the highest level. And so yeah, this is a this is a big few days for the Gosdens and their title push. The Queen's horse in the Champagne Stakes reach for the moon is particularly exciting because what we've seen thus far with that horse is that he's he's a potential classic horse for next year. I think he's second favourite, I think, for the for the Kazoo Derby 2022 in Platinum Jubilee year. Dottori riding in the Queen's colours. Uh, that will be, you know, that will be such a, an amazing occasion for British horse racing. So let's hope that, uh, that his upward curve continues. But yeah, certainly I'd be very surprised if we get to Monday morning and a decent chunk hasn't come out of Andrew Balding's lead at the top of the trainer's table. Well, as you heard from Charlotte last week, for the next few weeks leading up to Tattersall's book one and book two, we've been granted exclusive behind-the-scenes access at Watership Down Stud as they prepare their draft for the sale. Last week, you heard from their general manager and their stud manager, Simon and Terry. And today, I can catch up with renowned bloodstock agent Charlie Gordon Watson, who as part of his preparation for the sale, has been down to Watership Down to inspect the stock. Uh, Charlie joins me now. Um, I think, Charlie, just tell us where you are. I'm in Paris, Nick, actually. I came over yesterday, um, had a run at Longchamp, just got beaten in the head in the listed race, ran very well, got a nice Frankel cult running today, Maiden, and uh, and then Trobo is running on Sunday. So Arc uh, Trials weekend is always a lovely time to be here. It's a great day. So Charlie, you've been to Watership Down as part of your tour of the studs in the lead up to the yearling sales, just to, to give you that that insight. When did you when did you start inspecting yearlings this year? Uh, well, I saw them actually. Um, I, I saw them a couple of months ago because I like to see sort of how horses progress through the year. Um, and there's a few studs that I go to throughout the year three or four times so that gives you a sort of better guide and you can test your judgment how you think they're going to develop physically and, and how they will improve when they start the actual prep, which is always interesting because you see horses in June, July who don't start their prep to early August and, and the transformation when they start to be worked properly and fed more uh, and how they develop and how they tone up uh, is uh, just very revealing and very interesting. So this year, you've, you've inspected how many yearlings at Watership Down and, and what, what did you like, what didn't you like, what were you looking for? Uh, I wouldn't say I didn't like any of them, um, but yeah, obviously there are some there which wouldn't fit the boxes for me, but there are some exceptional cults there. The two that spring to mind are um, the Dubawi Out of Attraction, um, who's uh, obviously from Fleur's stud, um, Virginia uh, Roxborough. He, there is nothing not to like about him. He's a very imposing, strong, straightforward, tough, solid, nice horse. And the other one is a See the Stars cult out of Somidar from the Great Family. And that, that is, to me, uh, a very exceptional horse. And I can even tell you his lot number is lot 277, I think. 
And what do you feel are the benefits of, of inspecting now at home as opposed to on the sales ground? And But it, it, it just gets your eye in, and I'm going to a few more places next week and the week after, and it gets you trained for the sale. Obviously, we've done the Arcana sale in Deauville, um, uh, which is a difficult sale in that it comes very early, so it's quite hard to judge the horses. I mean, it's nearly two months earlier than any other sale in Europe, well, from book one anyway and they obviously start their prep sort of beginning of june so that's very different and and i can't you get a lot of late foals and a lot of early foals and they still slightly try to sort of fool you but you know size wise and you think oh forgive that it's a very late foal or, or an early foal vice versa but watership down have some very very nice horses um they've got they're probably stronger on colts than they are fillies, partly because the better fit, you know, they keep fillies to race. So, um, but they've got some very exceptional colts there. And of course, as we are finding out, there is more than one way to auction a horse. Online auctions have become commonplace during pandemic, but we now have the UK's first online thoroughbred auction house. It's called Thoroughbid. Its co-founder is Will Kinsey, and I asked him how he came up with the idea. It's, it started, it was a brainchild of myself and, well, my business partner, Ross Alberto, really, who um, was new into racing and owned a few horses with me. And I took him to the sales. And as probably everybody knows now, he, he could have, he asked me, was this the only way to, to sell horses? And um, he, he approached me about online selling because he'd had experience of that with other things such as cars. And um, when COVID when COVID happened, we sort of said, right, yeah, we'll kick on and, and, and give, it a, give it a proper go. So what do you feel your your advantage is, your edge is? Well, I mean, hopefully we've, you know, we think we've um, delivered a, a fantastic platform. The team have worked really hard um, to try and make a really coherent and easy to use and good experience site for, for looking at the horses. Um and you know our, our our costs are 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 reduced, much reduced for the for primarily for the vendors. Really, you know myself as a horseman, and uh, you know I run a stud, and we 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 sell horses. You know a lot of the time we feel that you know we take a huge risk and cost of sending horses to the sale, and um, sometimes it's you know it's it's not worth it. Um, you know, but selling this way from home, um, you know when the horses don't leave the stable, there's no risk of them going away and having the cost of staff and everything else that goes with the sales and actually ross and i you know just weirdly as it happened we we bought stormy island off the goffs online sale in, in january and she went on she won a group two um, a grade two race followed by a grade one on her first two starts for us so you know if ever there was proof in the pudding of what we were trying to do there it was in her you know these, these horses you know you, you you can you can ring the owners you can look at the videos you can find out all the information what they want for them and then decide whether you want to have a go at them so um yeah that's that's where we are and as far as this debut sales concerned which launches on on sunday which sort of marquee lots are you really pinning your hopes on will i think it's a really strong catalogue and, and the amount of people i was at yorton yesterday and the amount of people that approached me and said you know, well done and how good the site looked and they were really excited by it and, and what a strong catalogue we had for our first first catalogue. So, you know, there's some good, really good flat handicappers in there. You know, a couple rated over in, uh, you know, the 80s is um, one of Brian Means called Corbulo, who's, 
You know, he looks very progressive. Um, there's a potential broodmare there who called Beauty Stone of Sam Sangsters um, by Australia. She looks a lovely filly. Um, there's a obviously there's a half sister to Poetic Flair, um, who you know she she's she's a real interesting one. You know, um, there's another mare there called Jolly Comtesse who is a half sister to Trushan, and she's involved to Planter, who's obviously the the sire of of Trushan. So what's inside her is, is a three parts brother or sister to him. Uh, there's a couple of bumper winners of the leading theatre of uh, that was trained by Fergal O'Brien. That's two from two for him. Um, and then actually we've had a, some interesting wild cards as well. Strencham Court that won a bumper on Saturday for Sam Drinkwater. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, this, it really is a, a really interesting, you know, good quality sale. There's 23 lots, including the wild cards, and you know, we're really grateful and thankful to all those people that have supported us so far. Thanks to Will, to Charlie, to Fergal. Now, in case you are wondering where is James Willoughby this week, the answer is uh, he's having some emergency tooth extraction, so he's unable to be with us. James, I hope uh, you are pain-free as soon as possible, and we will get you back in harness with the update on the rankings just as soon as we possibly can. Uh, Dave Yates, however, is still with me, and he has a tip for today. Yeah, I'm going to go to Doncaster and... The St. Ledger distance this afternoon, the Mallard handicap at 3.15. Savannah Star, number 13, comes from Ireland, trained by Emmett Mullins. Didn't have things go his way in a valuable race at Killarney last time, but I think this has been the target, and he's a hard horse to get away from. He's at the head of the market, but I don't wish to take him on. 3.15 at Doncaster, the Mallard handicap, number 13, Savannah Star. David, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. I will be back later tonight with this week's Saturday edition because Charlotte's on holiday and then back with you on Monday as well. But from all of us on the podcast, have a great weekend. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.